Uh, let's ask God to uh, help us as we come to study his word. Please pray with me. Uh, true and living God, we thank you that you give us a word. And we thank you that it is a word of hope because it's the gospel of your son, that he's died for our sins and risen again and become the source of life to all who trust him. Help us now to receive this word as the word of the living God and help me to preach it truthfully. Amen. Well, we felt the... It's kind of an emotional thing, really, isn't it, to be back? And as you all know, I'm not good at emotion, so... Uh, but we have felt the importance of hope this year, haven't we? The restrictions would have been unbearable if we had not had hope that they'd be successful, hope that we'd be released uh, and that the disease would be controlled and the restrictions would be eased. In fact, we probably felt our mood, if you're like me, go up and down as our conviction of that hope was stronger or weaker, as we felt the time of that easing nearer or closer, nearer or further away. How many of us, for example, felt uh, gutted when our hope was disappointed at that press conference on October the 18th, when the relaxation of the restrictions and the reopening of businesses was delayed by two new cases and then elated a week later uh, as restrictions were eased. We felt the importance of hope. And there was always hope because, as the saying goes, where there's life, there's hope. Uh, though Ecclesiastes does put that a little more pithily, doesn't it? A living dog is better than a dead lion. And actually we know that to be true instinctively, for we know the one who is... Uh, we know uh, that the one who is joined to the living has hope. Uh, but the dead, whatever their power or wealth or status, have no hope, no hope in themselves. Their hopes of improvement, recovery, of justice or love, of life, of enjoying all the good of this created life, the warmth of the sun, the thrill of touch, the taste of food, the satisfaction of achievement, the richness of colour, the delight of human love, all those things have perished with them. Death puts you beyond human hope. Now, the ancient Israelites felt this even perhaps more than we do. You see, their culture had no optimistic and empty beliefs about the dead going to the stars or the angels and then looking down on us, beliefs that are entirely baseless, right? For them, the dead went to Sheol as mere shades, unable to know joy or happiness, unable to enjoy taste or touch, just existing, waiting for judgment without hope. But in Ezekiel, we hear God giving hope to the hopeless, not just to those without hope in Ezekiel's day. This promise is so big that there is hope for us as well, hope for when we are beyond all human hope, as we one day will be, a hope of life beyond death that spills into every part of our lives now. The hand of the Lord was upon me, and he brought me out in the spirit of the Lord and set me down in the middle of the valley. It was full of bones. And he led me around among them. And behold, they were very many on the surface of the valley. And behold, they were very dry. 
It's an extraordinary scene. The Lord has brought Ezekiel to a valley full of bones and the Lord leads Ezekiel around so that he can get a grasp of their extent. The place is full of them, piled up or scattered about, and they're very dry. A bit like the bones of dead sheep you might have come across in a drought-affected paddock, you know, pecked clean of all flesh by the crows, scoured by the ants, bleached by the sun. Ezekiel is witnessing the aftermath of some shocking catastrophe, and it would have been even more disturbing for him, for proper burial was a sacred duty. To die unburied, to have your body left as food for vultures, was a sign of being cursed. It was actually one of the curses uh, on covenant breakers recorded in Deuteronomy 28. There, verse 25, the Lord will cause you to be defeated before your enemies, verse 26, and your dead body shall be food for all the birds of the air and for the beasts of the earth. To die unburied was a sign of being cursed. And this is not a recent catastrophe. It's long past, perhaps repeated catastrophe, for the bones are very dry. And as Ezekiel's taking all this in, uh, feeling in a sense the horror of what he sees, the Lord asks him a question. Son of man, can these bones live? Now, of course, you would have felt the answer was obvious. No, no, life has long departed from dry bones and it's not coming back. But Ezekiel had seen the vision of God. He knew God's reality and greatness and Ezekiel was heir of God's revelation of himself to his people. He knew that God had said that he is the one who kills and makes alive. And he knew that God had said to Abraham that nothing is too hard, is impossible for him. The Lord had said that to Abraham and then he had brought life, Isaac, from the deadness of Sarah's womb. Oh, and the Lord had repeated that to Ezekiel's contemporary, Jeremiah. Behold, I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. Is anything too hard for me? And so Ezekiel replied, O Lord God, you know. That is, it really is up to you, Lord, who lives. And the Lord goes on and gives Ezekiel this extraordinary command. You see, ears may have bones, but bones have no ears. Yet Ezekiel is to address them. See, God has confidence in the power of his word. The Lord said to Ezekiel, prophesy over these bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, Behold, I will cause breath to enter you, and you shall live. And I'll lay sinews upon you, and will cause flesh to come upon you, and cover you with skin, and put breath in you, and you shall live, and you shall know that I am the Lord. So even though it makes no sense, trusting the Lord, whose word Ezekiel has always found to prove true in his experience, Ezekiel does as he's commanded. Verse 7, I prophesied as I was commanded, and as I prophesied, there was a sound. And behold, a rattling, and these bones came together, bone to its bone. And I looked, and behold, there were sinews on them, and flesh had come upon them, and skin had covered them. What an extraordinary sight. And noisy, that word for a rattling sound, can also be used to the rumble of an earthquake. But there was no breath. 
Ezekiel's still looking at the lifeless corpses. So the Lord again commands Ezekiel to prophesy. He said to me, prophesy to the breath, prophesy, son of man, and say to the breath, thus says the Lord God, come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and the breath came into them, and they lived and stood on their feet, an exceedingly great army. Now it helps us to understand the relationship of the winds to breath if we understand it. They're actually the same word in Hebrew, ruach, which I've put up there on the screen. That word is translated at different points in this passage as breath and wind, and yes, also as spirit. The spirit we've already met in Ezekiel 36, 27, where God promised new life to dead Israel when he said, I will put my spirit within you, the spirit of which God again promises here, 37, 14, I will put my spirit within you and you shall live. <coughs> and don't worry, COVID tested Thursday. <laughs> okay. Just to be sure, right? Anyhow, the coming of the wind, ruach to breathe, breath, ruach into these bodies to give them life is a picture of both the necessity and the power of the spirit to give life to the dead. But why this delay in the coming of the breath? Why didn't it happen straight away? Well, the delay is for emphasis. Firstly, it focuses our attention on that necessity, the necessity of breath or spirit for life, for the dead to come to life. No breath, no spirit, no life. It emphasises that this life for dead bones is dependent entirely on God giving them life. There's no life within them. It must come to them at God's command from God, from his spirit. The Paul's emphasising the necessity of the spirit for life also emphasises the relationship of the coming of the spirit to the word. The spirit comes through the word in response to the word. Life for these corpses is dependent on, comes through the prophetic word, preached. And this pause also links this account to the giving of life in Genesis, to the creation of the first man, Adam, in Genesis 2.7. There God formed man from the dust of the earth and then animated that body by breathing into his nostrils the breath of life. Life was dependent on God's gift. Our life is dependent on God's gift of breath. And so what we are seeing in the valley is like a new creation through the word of God. And it all testifies to the Lord's life-giving power. It's his winds, his spirit, his word. The Lord alone is the source of this life. The bones contribute nothing and Ezekiel contributes nothing. He speaks the word that the Lord has commanded him. The power of this word is in its origin not the one who speaks it. It's in it coming from God. Having witnessed the creation of this vast living host from that mass of dead, dry bones, through the word and spirit of God, the Lord now applies what Ezekiel has seen to Israel. Verse 11. He said to me, Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. Behold, they say, our bones are dried up and our hope is lost. 
we are indeed cut off. In Israel's view, they were as a people, as a nation, as good as dead, completely finished. They were without hope. In their despair and despondency, what does the Lord do? Well, he doesn't direct them to themselves. He doesn't tell them that we can get through this together or suggest if they just change their attitude to be more positive, they'd find a solution. And he doesn't challenge their assessment of their situation. They actually speak the truth truer than they knew. They're suffering the consequences of judgment on their sins, suffering the curses that came upon them covenant breakers. In being exiled from the land with Jerusalem destroyed and their king in captivity, their sacrifice ceased. That suffering was a sign of a deeper death, the death of alienation, separation from God, the source of all life, the death of sin, the death of Adam. But in their hopelessness, the hopelessness of the dead, the Lord directs them to have hope in him, in what he promises to do. And the Lord is very specific. Verse 12, Therefore prophesy and say to them, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I will open your graves and raise you from your graves, O my people, and I will bring you into the land of Israel, and you shall know that I am the Lord. When I open your graves and raise you from your graves, O my people, and I will put my spirit within you and you shall live and I'll place you in your own land. Then you'll know that I am the Lord. I have spoken and I will do it, declares the Lord. This is hope for the dead based on a renewed relationship with the Lord. The Lord, you see, addresses them twice here as my people. And he looks to that time, verse 14, that he's already promised in Ezekiel 36 where they would have a living heart in place of their dead, their stony heart, when the Lord puts his spirit in them. At that time he will open their graves and raise them from their graves and they will live, live, never to die again. And they'll come again to their land, that place where they live in the Lord's presence and they will know him, know that he is the Lord, the only God, know that he is their God, committed to them because he is committed to his gracious promises. And the Lord is committed wholly to doing this. I have spoken and I will do it. To the dead, the Lord promises resurrection life, not more of the same as this life, but life in relationship with him, life sustained by his spirit, life he alone gives, life promised here to undeserving people, suffering judgment under the curse for their sin. The Lord is saying that what he had pictured for Ezekiel in that valley of dry bones, he will do for sinful Israel. Now, at this point, some want, to say, some want to say that Ezekiel 37 is just describing the restoration of national Israel, that what Ezekiel 37 is doing is assuring the exiles of their continuing life as a nation. It's giving hope that the exiles will survive and some or their descendants will get back to the land. It's a collective promise. Well, that return may well have been unexpected and miraculous, but the language of Ezekiel 37 tells you God is speaking of something more than survivors going back to Palestine and re-establishing themselves there. You see, that mass of bones is not just one generation or just one defeat. 
It is, verse 11, the whole house of Israel, which, as the rest of chapter 37 makes clear, includes, in Ezekiel's view, the tribes of the northern kingdom. But they were people who were slain and lost more than a 100 years before. You see, this vision is looking for more than the return of the present exiles. And the Lord speaks explicitly here of opening their graves, raising them from their graves twice. This is speaking of life from the dead. And this is life from a completely different source, life that comes from the Spirit of God, not the continuation of this life. This is the restoration of Israel, yes, but the restoration of Israel through resurrection and new life. And now there's more promised here than a return from exile, more to be hopeful. This is hope beyond the grave. Hope for those without hope, including us and all people. You see, God is promising that in Israel, suffering the death of judgment, dried bones, death will be overcome and life will come through God's powerful word and spirit. But that death of judgment is the death we all face and we all are in. The entire race is under the judgment of death for our sin. Adam's dry bones with no hope in ourselves. And as the death of Israel is as the death Israel is suffering is the death we all suffer, so the life Israel is promised, life through the word and spirit of God is the life we all need, our hope of life. This is a powerful vision and stirring words, words of hope for us. But will the Lord keep his promise, his promise of life from the dead? Because it's a pretty big promise, isn't it? And can we be included? Well, the answer to that is yes and yes. You see, God has already fulfilled this promise in and through one Israelite the Lord Jesus, and through fulfilling the promise in him has guaranteed its fulfilment to all who are his by faith, all who believe his gospel, whatever their background. Now that's a big idea, so let me unpack it. The Lord Jesus, the son of Abraham, a true Israelite, he is the one true covenant keeper. He is the heir of all that God has promised Israel in his word. But the Lord Jesus died the death of judgment on sin, not his own, but ours. Dying on the cross, hanging on that tree, he was enduring the covenant curse on lawbreakers. That's what Paul tells us. Christ became a curse for us. For it's written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. He was there, the cursed dead. There under God's wrath, far from the life of God. And he was taken down from the cross and buried in a tomb. And on the third day, God opened his grave. He rolled that stone away and he raised him from the dead. Raised him from the dead to greet Mary in the garden, to talk with Cleopas on the road to Emmaus, to eat broiled fish with the disciples in the upper room, to confront Thomas in his unbelief with his wounded side and nail-pierced hands, to have a beach barbecue with his disciples in Galilee, to appear to more than 500 at one time. The Lord was risen in the body, not as a metaphor or symbol of renewal, 
but in reality, raised from the grave, risen in the power of the Spirit. God's promise in Ezekiel 37 has been fulfilled, fulfilled in Jesus. And raised from the dead, having died the death we all deserve, he has become the one who can include all who trust him in his resurrection life, show that that promise, share that promised life with us. You see, what he had given a sign of in raising Lazarus is now revealed as true for all through his death and rising. He had said to Martha then, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. He is now the resurrection and the life. That promised resurrection and life. And he is the source, he says, of that never-dying resurrection life to all who believe in him. The eternal word is now the giver, the bringer of the spirit, that powerful life-giving spirit to all who believe his gospel. And that really is all, whatever our background. We're all included now in Abraham, included in the promises to Israel through believing in Christ. The promises of Ezekiel 37 are for us. The Lord has kept his promise and it includes us who believe in the Lord Jesus. But as is obvious to all, especially to those of us who are getting older, we don't have those resurrection bodies yet. These bodies still die. We are mortal. And we've been made aware of this in this pandemic, haven't we? You see, there is a now and a not yet in the fulfilment of the promises in Ezekiel, in the fulfilment of all these promises from Ezekiel 36 on. But it's very clear here in Ezekiel 37. This now and not yet is what the Apostle Paul teaches in 1 Corinthians 15, as you heard read. There is an order in the demonstration of Christ's victory over death. In fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, writes Paul, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. But each in his own order, Christ the first fruits, then at his coming, those who belong to Christ. There is an order. But it is an order that assures us that we will be raised. Now, Christ has been raised, the first fruits. That is, he is the first part of the harvest presented to God that guarantees the rest of the harvest, that guarantees the resurrection of those who are his, those in him. And Christ's resurrection is not the only fulfilment of Ezekiel 37 we see now, is it? Now, believers in Jesus have the Spirit. And as Christ's resurrection guarantees the not yet of our resurrection, so does our present possession of the Spirit of God. As Paul says when he's speaking to the believers of their eternal dwelling, that is our resurrection body, he says, he who has prepared us for this very thing is God who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. The present possession of the Spirit promised to God's people in Ezekiel is the guarantee to us of the resurrection promised that we do not yet enjoy, but we will. You see, seeing the power of God in raising Jesus from the dead, knowing the certainty of his word, the grave has been opened, experiencing now the life-giving power of God's spirit, 
We are believers in Jesus, are confident of that, not yet. That is, believers die with a sure hope we will be raised. Now think about the wonder of that hope. You might have felt (coughs) the reality, even the nearness of death in this pandemic. Uh, Received a reminder that your death is inevitable. But here we learn from God that death need not be the end, the end of all hope of life. The living Jesus is the resurrection and the life. He gives the life of the spirit now and will raise believers then. So if you're not yet a believer, consider. God is more powerful than death. His love is stronger than death. He can give life through his word to those who deserve death, who have ignored and disobeyed him, who are under the curse. Jesus, his son, promises to do that for all who will believe his word and turn and confess his Lord, God's eternal almighty king who has died for their sin. Death is real. You should know that. So I think, is God calling you to find hope of eternal life, to find life now by trusting in Jesus? At the very least, you owe it to yourself, don't you, to find out if that is true because you don't find that offer anywhere else. Resurrection, life. But if you're yearning for life, well, you should call out to the one who is the resurrection and life. That's not hard. Jesus lives, he hears. Just say, Lord Jesus, I'm sorry for the way I've ignored and disobeyed you. Forgive me and give me the new life you promise. He'll hear you and if you do that, come and talk. But if you're a believer, I hope you face the possibility of death visited upon you by this virus with a hope that testified to the power of the living God, that life-giving power. I hope you thought that rather than the destruction of your hopes, death would be for for you the doorway to the fulfilment of all we hope for in Christ. You see, we are a people, believers, who always have hope. Even in ICU, even in the nursing home, as our minds and bodies fail. For it depends not on us, but on God who has raised his son, who has given his powerful spirit, who keeps his word. So I hope you can die with hope. Yet sometimes we confess this hope, and let me say to be a believer is to confess this hope. (laughs) From the outset, you become a Christian, you believe in a God who raises the dead, in a God for whom nothing is too hard, for whom all things are possible. Yet sometimes as believers we confess this hope, yet give way to despair and despondency. You might have felt that from time to time this year. For the year, the pressure of the lockdown and disruption has exposed many of us. It's brought us to see our frailty. We've had time to reflect on our lives and think about our circumstances and how we're responding to them and recognise that we're not as strong or in control as we thought we were or wished to be. Or maybe it's brought us to see our sin as our grumbling or irritability or lack of thankfulness or angry words or private lust exposed our hearts 
and we saw that we were not as godly as we thought or wished to be. Or perhaps the years brought frustration in other ways. You were praying that others turn to Jesus, humbled by this time. Yet you found it hard to get a hearing, hard to talk to others of repentance and faith in Jesus. And seeing your frailty, your sin, your lack of response, you felt at times overwhelmed, powerless, discouraged. Maybe you're feeling that even now as you feel the challenge of life returning to normal. You're excited, perhaps a bit fearful that it'll go backwards, but you're conscious that you've got so much to do when your energy's been depleted. You say, I know I can feel overwhelmed and exposed when I look at what is involved in moving back to a situation where everybody can gather under these restrictions. But we should not only face death with hope because the Lord can make dry bones live, we should live with hope. You see, the Christian life, the life of faith, is often arguing with ourselves from the greater to the lesser from the resurrection power that we know, the power of God for whom nothing is too hard, the power of word and spirit to give life to dry bones that raised Jesus from the dead, from the greater to the lesser, to the challenges of daily trusting in the Lord Jesus. See, what does thinking from the greater to the lesser mean for how we might feel about coming out of this time? Take that sense of being overwhelmed of having had your frailty exposed, of not having the strength or energy or wisdom needed even for the challenges of daily life. Well, remember the Almighty God says to his apostle in his his weakness and to us through him, 2 Corinthians 12, my grace is sufficient for you for my power is made perfect in weakness. And the resurrection shows how true that is. I mean, what can be weaker than a corpse. Yet what greater display of power is there than the magnificent and glorious risen Jesus? Our present weakness becomes the context in which that same power can be displayed displayed in our living as Jesus' people. And so Paul responds, I will all the more gladly boast of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then I'm content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions and calamities. For when I'm weak, then I am strong. So knowing the power of God, we can confess. We can confess our lack of strength, our uncertainty about what to do, our perplexities, our inabilities, but not be overwhelmed. You see, we trust our God that he will be at work to bring himself glory, to display his glorious power in our weakness and give grace to discharge what he calls us to, whether that's a husband or wife, a son or daughter, a parent serving with our gifts. Or think about our struggle with sin. A struggle you may have felt afresh over this time as you lost routine, were left more to yourself, experienced disappointment. I'm going to speak now to the grieved in heart, not the resigned in heart who have accepted sin. Scripture never accepts sin, but to those who are grieved by their sin. You know, you and I can remember with joy that we have forgiveness for all our sin in Christ. But we hope 
for more. You see, God's word says we've been united to Christ by faith, that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we'd no longer be enslaved to sin, Romans 6. And it continues, Colossians 2, that we have not only died with Christ, but that we've also been raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. Believers experience the power of Christ's risen life now through his spirit. And through the spirit, says Paul, we can put to death sin, put to death the misdeeds of the body. We don't need to be enslaved by sin, always defeated by it. In fact, as we give ourselves to the spirit's workiness, we should expect growth in love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. We don't need to be trapped in that anger and irritability, those harsh and demeaning words. We don't need to fear that we'll never break free from that porn addiction. Oh, we don't need to think that we can't live without envy. We can live free of envy. We can change to become kind by God's powerful work through his spirit. So don't let the devil trick you into thinking that you are the exception, the person God can't change. Nothing is too hard for the Lord, including conforming you to the image of his son. If he can free you from the chains of death, he can free you from the chains of sin as you keep listening to heeding his word. The spirit that can give life to the dead can enliven and sustain in life your heart, your will, strengthening your will to do his will. So put to death sin and have hope in God's work in you. And finally, think of the task of of our Lord entrusted to his disciples, to each one of us, of making disciples of all nations. Now, you may have had some great conversations over this time, even seen people come to repentance of faith, as I know some of you have. And yet you might still be disappointed that so few have reconsidered their proud rejection of God. You might be frustrated by how reluctant people to engage with the gospel. You might feel it's all too hard, especially now. It's things coming back to normal to shift people from their other loves of money or pleasure or power from their idols. Well, it is too hard for us. Remember, as the rich man walked away from Jesus, his disciples asked Jesus who could be saved and Jesus replied, with man, that is humanity, with you and I, It is impossible. It's not just too hard for us. It is impossible for us. But Jesus continued, but not with God. All things are possible with God. And that's what Ezekiel 37 witnesses to, the power of God's mighty word to do the impossible, to bring dry bones to life. You see, the gospel word is always being preached to the dead, speaking to the dry bones of Adam's children, calling on the deaf to hear and the blind to see. And it has always been powerful to raise the dead, to do the work in its hearers that it commands, to bring the life-giving spirit into corpses. That's a work each one of us, each believer, knows for themselves. For we were dead in our sin, blind to Christ's greatness, until God shone the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ in our hearts. We were deaf to his word 
until he opened our ears to hear it as the word of the living God calling us to trust the Lord Jesus and follow him, calling us to find life. You see, you might look around you, family, neighbours, workmates, and you think dead bones, beyond response, beyond hope. But the gospel word of Christ, crucified for sin and raised from the dead, the word that summons to repentance and faith, that summons to life and love in relationship to the living God, that word can raise the dead. It can unstop deaf ears. It can open blind eyes. It can bring hope to those beyond hope. So make it known clearly and boldly and confidently. I'm not sure how Ezekiel felt as he started speaking to those bones. He was probably feeling pretty stupid and hoping that, uh, you know, no one had a camera there and would load it up on the net, you know, right? You might feel as you start talking to your friends about someone who lived on earth 2,000 years ago and died in shame as a powerless victim, talking to them about how this person, Jesus, is the Lord who can give them eternal life, bring them peace, embrace them in a love that will never fail them. You might feel pretty stupid and self-conscious too. But Ezekiel trusted the God for whom nothing was impossible. And trusting him, he spoke the word God gave him and saw life come to the dead. And he spoke that word to Israel. And we have seen it fulfilled in Jesus. And you and I should speak too. Speak up over and over again. Speak this life-giving word that God says is for the world. So I don't know where you are as we have a lull in this uh, infection or even the beginning of the end of this pandemic. But God's word calls us to put our hope wholly in the God whose word can raise the dead, to put our hope in the God for whom nothing is impossible, hope in our Saviour who has conquered death, Hope in his powerful word, the gospel word. Hope in his life-giving spirit, whom the Lord gives to all his people. And having put all our hope in him, found all our hope in him, to then live with hope. No longer fearful of death. Content, yes, to know our weakness as the theatre for the display of his power. Forgiven of sin but conscious we are not enslaved to it and keeping on speaking the word of Jesus to the dead, knowing that like the word given to Ezekiel, it is the power to raise them to life forever. Let's pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we do pray that uh, each of us would know more and more the work of your powerful spirit in our lives. And through the work of your spirit, Christ would dwell in our hearts, direct our wills in all things. And we pray that being rooted and grounded in love, believing the gospel, we would have power and strength to comprehend what is the breadth and length and height and depth of the love you have shown us in Christ? And knowing that love and power, 
be confident to live for him and to speak of him and to put all our hope in him and to testify to the world through our hope in him. How great and faithful a God you are. How life has found only in you, but in you life can be found for all. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.